my name is Kim, and this is The Contemporary Educator, a podcast dedicated to all my fellow educators out there who are trying to balance the many demands placed on The Contemporary Educator. I'd like to acknowledge that I am on the unceded traditional territories of the Lekwungen peoples of the Esquimalt and Songhees nations, and I feel really grateful to live here. So in today's episode, I want to talk about boundaries. Boundaries is a topic that comes up a lot as a teacher, um, how we're establishing boundaries with our students, how our students are establishing boundaries with each other. Um, And we hear about this a lot in professional development, in our day-to-day conversations with students and with our colleagues. And so it seems as though it could be a really relevant topic to, to bring up now. And it actually has just come up for me in the past two weeks or so. A really good friend of mine that I work with, a colleague, um, she's this bomb youth and family counselor and um, just incredible human being. And uh, so she and I were talking about boundaries the other day and like talking about how we establish boundaries, what ways we we try to ensure that we are maintaining our professionalism while also still being compassionate and nurturing human beings. And so that's kind of what this podcast is going to talk about because we all kind of have our own, you know, set of rules for ourselves. And sometimes we don't follow our own rules the same way. And so that's kind of what a boundary is. It's what we're establishing to try to keep ourselves safe we establish them professionally and personally. It's um, a way to kind of protect ourselves from harm, whether that's emotional or um, we're, you know, protecting ourselves from any like kind of professional questioning or anything like that. All of those are, are what boundaries are. And I think, you know, in some sense, the theory of boundaries is something that we hear about a lot and, and we all kind of have an understanding of what that is. My take on boundaries is it's, it, they're kind of the, they're the things that we set for ourselves and we do it daily, whether we realize we're doing it or not. And we set these, these restrictions for ourselves so that we can manage our day-to-day lives so that we can ensure our relationships stay healthy, so that we can keep ourselves safe, healthy, and monitor and and account for our mental wellness. And so that's kind of what a boundary is. And like I said, we can do these knowingly or unknowingly. I don't love the term boundaries, honestly, in the way that it's often used because people often throw around the term boundaries, try to like shame somebody for not having better boundaries. I've heard other, you know, teachers I've worked with in the past, you know, this student needs to set better boundaries with this other student, or this student doesn't have good boundaries because they're letting their boyfriend treat them that way. Nobody actually lets anybody treat them badly. People are going to choose to treat them badly. It's not that person's fault that they're being treated poorly because their friends aren't respecting that individual's boundaries. Just because the friend hasn't put their foot down and said, I'm not going to be treated like this, doesn't mean that they don't have boundaries. What it means is, is that the other person has intentionally sought ways to to encroach on that other person's boundaries and to try to like work around the boundaries that person has set for themselves. And so that's really... When we say that person doesn't have good boundaries, what we should really be saying that to is the perpetrator of something. 
whoever it is who's who's instigating something, they're the ones who don't have a good sense of boundaries because they're not respecting or acknowledging the other person's boundaries when they're tr- mistreating them. And so that's my only issue with the term boundaries. The term boundaries itself, in terms of how we establish them for ourselves, I actually don't really have a problem with that. It's just being mindful that not to use it as a way to victim blame, essentially. What do boundaries look like? Well, depending on age, depending on where you're at and what you're doing, you know, your body language indicates boundaries. So for instance, if somebody is a close talker and they come in and they're, you know, talking really closely to you and you feel uncomfortable, you take a step back. That's a clear indication of a boundary. A young person who doesn't really want you to be, you know, in their space and so they close themselves off and they're uncomfortable or maybe they're getting a little bit um, agitated, that's a clear indication of a boundary. If a student is, you know, arguing or argumentative um, or perceives has perceived bound or sorry has perceived behavioral issues um chances are that's because we're starting to encroach on one of their boundaries and so that would be like an action that's one way that a boundary can look it can be an action like i said it can be body language we can verbally enforce our boundaries and like by saying no so if somebody says hey can you help me with this thing after school and you say no i can't Um, Like, for example, I try really hard not to respond to my emails on the weekends. And so that's one of my boundaries. So I haven't said anything, but the action is speaking for itself. People at this point, if if I have a student who's been in my class or a parent of a student who's been in my class for a while, um, chances are, you know, they're not even going to try to email me on the weekend because I'm not going to reply. They're understanding that I have clearly indicated that that's a boundary for me. We also indicate our boundaries by what we wear how we present ourselves, how we carry ourselves. There's lots of different ways and a lot of them are nonverbal. And so when we hear somebody say, well, you just need to have better boundaries, what we're actually saying is you need to have different verbal boundaries. And we're not asking for people to then actually acknowledge the nonverbal ways in which we tell people what our boundaries are every single day. And what we should be doing is actually teaching people how to understand and respect nonverbal boundary cues. So that's going to be a little bit what I talk about, but um, mostly what I'm talking about is how we set them for ourselves in a way that helps us to maintain our professionalism and also our like you know, our humanity. So we set boundaries for a lot of different reasons. Self-care, to establish respectful relationships for our own professional reasons. Sometimes, you know, our district or um, the governing body that we work under has certain boundaries set in place already. Like for instance, I know in some places you can't use social media or you can't have a public social media account that students could potentially find or follow. There's also like our emotional and intellectual boundaries and our emotional and intellectual boundaries are established to protect our emotions and our intellect, right? So that's a safety mechanism that we put in place. So we know why we set them. We understand the context in which we need to have them. But the key thing here is when our students struggle understanding our boundaries or respecting our boundaries and we all have those students who do this and it's not because 
there's anything wrong with the student themselves. Um, and it's not because the student is clueless as to boundaries or anything, because they have their own too. But quite often what happens in a, particularly in a teaching relationship or counseling relationship, and you're nurturing, caregiving kind of person, you end up being in this gray area period a lot of the time. And, you know, your job always extends beyond the reach of the three o'clock bell at the end of the day. And we know this because we know that teachers are burnt out. And that's one of the reasons that there needs to be holiday time during the year. It's not just for students. It is absolutely for teachers as well. And the emotional burnout and compassion fatigue that the teaching profession faces is extreme. It is absolutely bananas. And so we know that this is a thing, right? We know that teachers are often caught in this really tricky gray area place where students need help, whether it's emotional or academic or otherwise, and we're not sure where to draw the line or how to without without damaging an important relationship to these students and really for us too because our relationship to our students is everything and we want our students to know that we care we want them to know that they are loved and supported and that we are there for them and that we want them to succeed and so you know it makes it really difficult when we know and we start to feel uneasy at the end of the day because it's maybe four o'clock or four thirty And we know that we have to get home to our families and and make dinner or do these other things. And we have a lineup of students who want to see us, or maybe our classroom is filled with students that are just still needing that extra attention or after school activities or, or extracurricular things that keep us late into the night. And we have all of these students who are demanding that attention from us and, and we want to be able to provide it, but it can be tricky in those situations when we start to feel that our boundaries are being compromised and we don't really know what to do about them. And that happens because we we take a lot of pride in our work, I think, and um, because we really do respect our students and we really honor um, the type of work that we're doing. And when a kid comes to us with something, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, you know, whether it's they got an A on their math test that they've never studied or that they've never done well in before or because they're coming to you because they have, you know, a breakup issue. It's an honor to be the person they chose to confide in and an honor that they would want to come to you over and above anybody else, their friends, their family. They have chosen you to share this moment with. And so it's hard in that moment to then say, okay, I'm here and I I care about you and I want you to have space for this. My boundary is that I have to leave the school by a certain time or, you know, I'm, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable because this is surpassing my role as a teacher. All of these things are when, it's when you start to feel that uneasiness, when you sit with it in your body and you're like starting to feel almost anxious or antsy, um, that's, that's your boundary warning, right? That's the red light saying, hey, something's wrong here. I'm not comfortable anymore and um, I'm not 100% sure why, but I know that this isn't a situation that I really want to be a part of at the moment. And that can be for any number of reasons. It can be because of the type of disclosure that you're hearing, but it could also just be because of the amount of time you've already been at the school or because you're starting to realize that you are this young person's only person. And that's the key here. So when students are breaching your boundaries, 
it's not because they're doing it intentionally. And most of the time, they're not intentionally ignorant to the fact that you are setting a boundary. The reality is that these students are looking for relationship and we know that they're looking for connection. They're lonely and they may not have another healthy adult in their life. And kids need healthy adults, right? And so if they don't feel like their parent can be their healthy adult or they don't have a grandparent or anybody in their life that they feel they can confide in who is an adult to them, who can hold stuff for them and who can just sit with them in whatever it is they're struggling with, they seek that out. And quite often it ends up being a teacher because teachers are often their healthy adult. And so when that happens and we have kids who are who are reliant on us in that way, um, we need to understand like what it actually is that a healthy adult what is a healthy adult actually? What does that look like? And a healthy adult, I mean, if you've read my blog post before, you know that I'm I'm really big on the healthy adult thing. And a healthy adult is truly as as counterintuitive as it may seem, uh, a healthy adult is somebody who's going to assert their boundaries because that's modeling for our students. When we say, I love you, I'm here for you, and I'm going to hear your story, and then I need you to know this is what I have to do with that. So if it's a disclosure that's bigger, then of course, you know, you have ethical and like government regulated obligations, of course, that you need to make sure that you're responding in the right way. But if it's something smaller and you have a student who comes in and says, you know, I had a breakup with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, I'm, you know, my partner, I'm really upset. It's not actually beneficial to this student to sit with them for hours and hours while they grieve the loss of that relationship. It's okay to assert what your boundaries are in that moment you can sit with them and be with them for as long as you're comfortable but once you start to feel that antsy anxious feeling and you know that your boundaries are being encroached on you need to find a way to communicate that boundary to the student because there's no better judge of when of your own boundaries than you when you start to have that feeling and it's the same as like you know, when students, like in, in my district, it, it is okay for students to have your cell phone number or be on social media, like follow you on social media or whatever. I don't typically do those things. I mean, I have a, a teacher social media account and um, like on Instagram and um, that's the only one, or I have a dog Instagram as well. So students, those are open and students can follow my dog on Instagram and see that he likes to chase a ball. And they can follow my teacher Instagram, but they don't have access to my private personal Instagram. They also don't have access to my Facebook and I don't give out my cell phone number. Those are things for me that are important boundaries to set. If a student messages me on something other than like our school district email, I typically won't reply unless it's musical related because that's slightly different because that can be more time sensitive. But if it's you know, something that isn't urgent, I'm not going to reply until the eight to three kind of time frame. That's a boundary that I have set where it's like, okay, you email me, you use my school district email, it all goes above board and I will reply to you when I'm back to school on Monday. But I am 
not going to reply during the week or in the evenings um, or on the weekends or anything like that. And that's something that I've done to kind of assert my boundary because I know that a lot of teachers can get themselves into hot water and not even like with the district because like I said, our district doesn't actually have a firm policy on that, right? But I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm the only healthy person that student has. Do you know what I mean? Like it's your job as a teacher is to make sure that these students are prepared for the world outside, not that they're only prepared for the world with you. And if it can feel like an honor and you can feel, you know, really appreciated when a student chooses you to disclose something to big or small, but you should not, if you're actually their healthy adult and you're doing it for them, be the only person in their life. And so if you start to identify that that's the case and you're the only person in their life, you have some work to do. And part of that is going to be so that you can maintain your own boundaries, so that you can establish them really clearly, that it's important to you um, that students, you know, not contact you at these certain times or that you have your own time to yourself or whatever your clear boundaries are. But you need to make sure that these students have access to other resources. So that's where contacting the youth and family counselors, the school counselor comes in really handy because they can start to connect these young people to community resources so that you're not the only healthy adult. And that's not going to take anything away from your relationship with that student, but what it is going to do, it's going to demonstrate to that student that it's okay to have more than one person. In fact, we all need more than one person and it's going to demonstrate to them what your acceptable boundaries are it starts to get tricky and and this is one thing that one of my supervisors had said to me um you know when i was doing my my masters in counseling psych and she was really clear with her boundaries her boundaries were okay you know i work until this time <clears throat> and then i'm with my family after that and so for her it was like she was so 100% invested when she was at work that it was very clear when she wasn't at work she wasn't at work and she, it took years, but she established that over over years of, of work. And she was very clear with it. And one of the things that she said is, you have to ask yourself, who are you doing this for? If you have a young person and you feel like you're giving 100% to that young person and you are you know, bending over backwards for them and this student cares so deeply about you and how you feel about them and you begin to care so deeply about how this student feels about you as well. Is that still healthy? And are you actually helping this young person or are you stroking your own ego? That's the reality. And I know a number of colleagues, like I've had colleagues that will have students over at their house on the weekends who you know, flat out openly admitted to drinking wine in front of students. And that's just, those aren't things that I would ever do because I have, there's a level of professionalism that still occurs in our work. And I think that it's important to establish to students that this is what my role is here. And this is not what my role is. And as much as I can be your teacher now, and maybe one day I can be your friend, my purpose here is as a support to you. I'm your support and you are not my support. And that's a really important distinction because when you find that if you are crying to students about the stuff going on in your life or you're using them to carry your own emotional baggage, and I I don't think many teachers do this, but 
If you find that that's starting to happen where young people know a lot about your life too, it's time to start to question where are your boundaries and, and whether or not it's worth it to start to reconsider what they are. Because if you reflect on your day and you think, oh, I said something that I shouldn't have or I've divulged information about myself I shouldn't have or I left a student in agency where they felt they had to take care of me and I shouldn't have, that feeling of regret is another one of those big warning signs saying, hey, you breached your own boundaries here, buddy. You should be really careful about what you do next. Check in and say, okay, This actually doesn't feel good in the long run. This isn't actually the kind of relationship I want to have with students. Why am I doing this work? And is this work actually for the student or is this part for me? And if your answer at the end of that question is, oh, okay, it strokes my ego when I'm the person that students are choosing to talk to and I like to covet that information, then you're not doing it for the student anymore, right? You're doing it for you. And this isn't an attack on anybody and it's it's so easy to get into that space, even if it's just one student, you know, and I'm certainly guilty of getting into this space where you have a, a really strong rapport with a student and you become their confidant and, and that's fine until it's not anymore. And so you need to know when that line crosses and understand who in the school is in your corner. Who are you going to talk to about that so that you can put more and more and more and more student or more and more supports into that student's corner because that student deserves to have lots of healthy adults, not just you. And so that's clear boundary setting, right? It's clear boundary setting to make sure that you're not the only person who knows everything about this kid. It's clear boundary setting to make sure that the kids know that your home and your school life are separate and that you're their teacher, not their friend. And that your professional self is different than your personal self. And that they get to see your professional self. And the two can cross over. Absolutely. I joke with students and I'm relational and all that stuff. But I'm not the same as I am when I'm sitting on my couch on a Friday night. Or when I have friends over. And I think it's clear. It's important to be clear about that distinction for yourself. In summary, like, why do professionals breach their boundaries? I say their boundaries because it's not really up to other people to tell them what their boundaries are. But like I said, the district does have guidelines around boundaries and there is there are gray areas. Absolutely. Like, you know, I knew I know lots of teachers who have students over to their house. I know teachers who ask students to babysit for them. I grew up in a really small town and it was a big there was you had no other babysitters if you didn't ask a student. So that's what you did. And so, um, like, I understand that there are, are exceptions to these things. We have to understand here, who do we think that we're helping when we breach a professional boundary? When we get a text message to our phone and it's a student saying they need help and it's, you know, a Friday night, what level of help is it? Are they asking for help on their homework? What's the emergency? And are you the best person to be dealing with that emergency? Right, So professionals often breach because they think that they're helping and they may not be. They are also they also might breach because of their ego. It's martyrdom, right? I'm the person that people choose and I'm going to help fix all of these kids. And that's a really problematic way of thinking. And another reason that professionals might breach, meeting their own needs. It feels good to feel needed. And it also 
feels good to feel like your program is growing or that students love you or that students are committed to you and your program. And like, I understand that feeling. Of course, it feels good. But then if you're inviting them over or if you're engaging in in what is gray area behavior, you need to ask yourself, who am I doing this for? Is this for the students because they need a safe place to get together um, at the end of you know a show run or the end of the semester, whatever, and it's a small town and there's nowhere else to go? Or am I doing this because I want to know kind of what's going on in their lives and that's important to me? So it's it's important to like kind of start to differentiate and the, the lines can absolutely be blurred. So the thing that I always like to think when when I'm questioning, like if I get a message from a student And during COVID was a tough time because I would get emails pretty regularly outside of school hours. And so I would get an email at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. And sometimes I would open them. Sometimes I wouldn't. But when I would open them, I would do a quick scan. Okay, is this something that it needs attention right now? If it's a question about tomorrow's assignment, it can wait until tomorrow. Sometimes I would open something that really appealed to my humanity. And what that means is... A student is reaching out because they feel alone. And this also happened a lot during COVID where they reached out and they said, Kim, I really miss school. I really miss you and our class and and everybody being together. And I'm feeling really low right now. I then take a moment. I think back upon my relationship with that student and start to identify what their risk factors are. This is something I'm trained and qualified to do. So it's, it's different. But I do start to think about okay, is this student, you know, at risk of suicide? Is this student at risk of self-harm? Is this student at risk of substance abuse or overdose right now? And I have to lean into my humanity before anything else. And humanity tells us, okay, when somebody's in danger, we reach out for help. So in that situation, I would email the student back and I would say, hey, I just got your email. I'm hoping you're doing okay. Please let me know if I can help connect you to other resources. Can I help you find a counselor? Are you seeing a counselor right now? Do you need me to call for help? It's very clear then what your boundary is. Because as teachers, we're not their counselors. As teachers, we are their teachers. And as teachers, we're there sometimes as an emotional support. But in a crisis type situation, lean into your humanity and can you sleep? Can you sleep if you go to bed knowing that that message is sitting there and tomorrow is Monday morning at 9 a.m. and you're like, okay, well, can wait? Are you going to be able to, you know, live with that decision? So your boundaries and your humanity are going to often be at odds with each other. And I say that because I have been in that situation, right? Where my boundary is I don't check my email and I don't respond to emails after about five o'clock. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to get to it unless it's a time-sensitive situation that, you know, for instance, musical, they need to bring their costume tomorrow, whatever, that kind of thing. Most of the time, not going to respond until the next day. However, in that situation where I have a student who is, you know, it's an appeal for help, then that's when my humanity kicks in. And the two, my boundaries and my humanity, butt heads, I'm not going to lie, like it's, It's not a cut or dry kind of situation. It doesn't feel like that in the moment anyway, where I say, okay, well, this is what I, I feel anxious. I feel antsy. All of the things where my boundaries are saying, 
hey, look at me. These are your boundaries being breached. But my humanity is also saying, hey, look at me. You're a compassionate individual who cares very deeply about kids. And you're the person they've chosen. So when I'm faced with that situation, I think to myself, okay, I'm going to knowingly breach my own boundary. I'm doing this knowing exactly how I'm going to proceed. I'm breaching my own boundary. I'm aware that it's happening and I'm aware of how I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to contact that student by email. This is what I'm going to say. Then I'm going to try to encourage that student to allow me to help connect them to other resources, whether it's a school counselor I can call on the fly, or if it's a community counselor I can call on the fly, or if it's the crisis line. And I'm going to connect them to those resources and I'm going to make sure that they're safe. And now I'm not the only person that they have. And that's the key. Okay, I'm not, you don't want to be in a position where you've both breached your boundaries and now you're still the only person that they have. Because that is no longer about them anymore. Then you're starting to lean into the martyrdom situation. So you need to be really cautious of that, right? So that's just another example. But here are all the things that I really recommend. And I've, I've been rambling through a lot of this. So um, I appreciate if you've listened for this long. Um, boundaries are something that are, are really important to me because I often find myself in the crosshairs of like my boundaries versus my humanity and compassion. And um, I think at this point, I've established a way to feel good about proceeding if I know that I'm breaching my own boundary, if I'm aware that it's happening. And so these are all the things that I suggest to do. Okay, understand um, that, you know, you're breaching your boundary. That's kind of number one. The things that you need to do, you need to ask yourself, okay, is this a breach of my boundary? Is the anxiety that I'm feeling right now because of a crisis or is it because I'm concerned about my professional conduct, whether or not it appears professional and whether or not this is a breach of my professional boundary or personal boundary? There's always time to take that pause. There is no crisis so urgent that you can't take that pause unless you're literally standing next to somebody who's overdosed and needs Narcan. Like you have a moment to say to yourself, okay, is this a breach of my professional boundary? Is that anxiety I'm feeling a breach? Once you determine whether it is or it's not, then you can start to think about how you want to proceed. The next thing you can do is ask yourself, who needs the breach? Do I need it or do they? If you realize that it's them because it's a true crisis situation, and when I say true crisis, I mean that they are at risk of harming themselves, harming somebody else, or somebody else is at risk of harming them. That is a true crisis. And so if you can identify that they are the ones who need the breach, then you can determine how comfortable you are breaching. But if when you ask yourself, okay, who needs the breach right now? The kid just had a breakup with their boyfriend. They have no other risks of risk factors. You know, I I don't know that they self-harm. I don't know that they're suicidal. Um, This is an otherwise really happy child with, you know, I know their parents really well. They have a loving, supportive family. Is this a breach for me in that I want the gossip or... I want to know how, you know, what happened in this relationship, or I just want to be the person that this kid confides in. That then is a breach for you and not for them. 
And that becomes a little bit trickier and that's more, even more of a gray area. Because if that's the situation and you have to ask yourself, like this isn't actually a crisis situation, am I going to respond with anything more than, I, we can talk about this on Monday or I'll be here for you on Monday. You know, that's fine. That's not a breach then. You're, be, you're clearly stating your boundary. That's a verbal statement of your boundaries. But if you engage and you realize that it's a breach for you, you need to be really clear about that because that is when it is a professional boundary issue, right? The next thing you have to ask yourself is, you know, once you've established if it's a safety issue and it is a true crisis, you need to understand whether or not you are truly the best person to deal with that issue. And so in the situation that I, the example that I gave, in some cases, I actually would be the best person to deal with that issue, but I'm not this young person's crisis counselor. Have I been one? Am I one to other young people in different contexts? Yes but I'm this young person's teacher. And so in that situation, I'm not the best person to deal with this crisis. So what I have to do then is start to think of who is the best person to deal with this crisis. One of our youth and family counselors at the school, maybe the crisis line, the child helpline, her parents, maybe. And then I have to see how I can surround this student with those kinds of supports. So that she doesn't feel like I'm the only person that's in her corner. So she understands that she's got other people in her corner. So you can ask those questions. Have you tried talking to so-and-so, you know, the youth and family counselor? Have you tried calling the crisis line? Do you feel comfortable calling the crisis line? Do you even know how to access them? Do you know how to access our suicide helpline? You don't even have to be actively suicidal to contact them if you just need somebody to talk to. So there's all these different resources that you can start to connect young people to and acknowledge that you are not necessarily the best person to handle that crisis. And if it is a true safety issue and you're not a trained therapist and you're not that young person's trained therapist, you are not the best person to handle it. It might even mean a phone call to the police. Like that's just the reality, right? Another tip, take time before before you answer somebody if you're asked to do something. So if your administrators or if a student or somebody asks you specifically to do something for them, take some time before you answer. Even if they ask you in person, and this is a classic admin tactic, and I I don't blame them. I do this too, actually. I do this to our admin all the time. Um, But, you know, you catch somebody in the hallway and you say, hey, quick question. Can you do this? Or am I allowed to do this? And you're put on the spot and you are, you know, your head's not in that game. You're doing something else. So you answer, sure, yeah, I can do it. And then you start walking away and that anxiety and antsiness and all that discomfort is back. And you're like, crap, when am I supposed to do it? When am I going to actually do this? And so that's when you know, okay, me saying yes was a breach on my boundary. I need to start to understand how I can get better at navigating those situations. And so one thing that you can do is just not answer right away. I know that sounds so simple. My go-to line is, um, let me get back to you. I'm just going to check my calendar really quickly. I walk away. I go to my classroom. I will check my calendar. And if I'm sitting there feeling like, oh my God, I really don't want to do it because I have this to do and this to do. And then this is going on in my personal life. And then this is also happening. Then I can say no. I can say, "Ah, I'm sorry. I'm actually not available that day. Or I'm not available that time. And 
Now, all of a sudden, it, I'm a team player, you know, like I'm absolutely willing to do things, just not that. So they're not getting the constant no, 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 because I actually do like to be asked to do things because I often, I like to be involved in what's going on in the school. I like to be a part of it. And so I, I like to do stuff for our school. So when I'm asked to do something, a lot of the time I want to, but if I have that feeling where I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do this, then, um, that's when I know that I just don't have space for it in my life. And taking that moment, just a moment to say to yourself, okay, I need a minute. Let me go check my calendar. Gives you that time to figure out how it actually is sitting with you. Because in the moment when you're asked in the hallway or on the fly by a student or a parent or a teacher, the admin, whatever, it's really hard to answer honestly. And we want to be giving people. That's the nature of what we do. We want to be giving and we want to be warm and we want to be helpful. And it's really hard in the moment to say, no, I'm actually not going to be helpful right now because I have too much other stuff to do. So um, that's one of my my favorite go-to lines. The other thing to keep in mind, and I'm still working on this, and I think everybody kind of works on this to some extent, you don't need excuses. A no can just be a no. And this has taken me a really long time to get over with friends even too, where a friend will ask me, you know, do you want to go for a hike? And I'm just, I'm really tired. Or do you want to get together? And I just really don't want to, not because I don't love that person, not because I don't love my time with them, but just because that day I'm just not feeling it. I don't feel social. I kind of just want to veg on the couch, whatever the reasoning. You don't need to have a reason. And I always feel like I need to have an excuse like, oh, I can't because I have a dentist appointment or, oh, I can't because this other big thing is happening and I need an actual conflict. It's okay to just say, I can't because really all I want to do right now is watch Real Housewives and uh, eat copious amounts of popcorn and chocolate. So sorry, maybe next week. That's not, that's not what would be considered a legitimate excuse, but it's absolutely valid. It's absolutely okay. And so we need to, as a society, get over the feeling that we need to provide excuses for saying no, for asserting our boundaries. Because in that moment when you look in your calendar and you're feeling antsy and you've just told your admin, you've used the last strategy of, of saying to your admin, yeah, let me just check my calendar. And you go and you look and you realize you are free that day. And you're like, shoot, I was kind of hoping I was busy. Crap. Okay. Well now what? And now you're sitting rocking your brain. How are you going to come up with an excuse? It's actually okay to just say no. It, it is. It's okay to say, you know, it's just, I just have too many other things to do this week. That's my only day off. Or I just, I really can't right now. I'm exhausted. Whatever it is. And I know both of those were actually excuses too, <laughs> truthfully. Like I said, I'm still working on not having an excuse. But if you're feeling like it's an encroachment on your boundaries, it's okay to just say, oh, no, thank you. No, thanks. Or if you're not ready to do that, and I'm often not, as you can see by the fact that I literally just said, you don't need excuses. You can just use all of these excuses I have outlined. <laughs> but like, I know that I'm really bad for that. I will often just say, I'm sorry, I'm actually not available. No reason why, whatever. Leave it at that. Yeah, the goal, the goal, at least for all of us, I think, is to just be able to say, no. <laughs> can you do this for me? No, I'm sorry, I can't. And done. Like nothing, no more needed, nothing else added. But like I said, I know that's really, really hard. 
yeah, in, in summary, like this has been a whole lot, but this is kind of the last main point. And I just really want to hit it home again. I've said it a few times. Being the healthy adult in a student's life, in, in a friend's life even, means not being the only adult. It means not being the one who has to do all the things for somebody. You can't be everything to everyone. Refer people out. Encourage people to make other connections with others. Because inevitably, that is what is going to... One, it's it's going to be better for them. And two, it's going to be better for your community. Don't feel like you need to hold all of this intensity that all of your students are bringing in or your colleagues or your friends or your, your spouse refer out. And when I say refer out, I don't mean say to your spouse, like, have you tried the crisis line? (laughs) No, I mean like, you know, if you're feeling burnt out and, and you can't take it, it's okay to say, Hey, when was the last time you got together with your parents? It's okay to refer out and to know that we can't be everything to everybody. And being the healthy adult means being healthy ourselves and having healthy, clear, and understood boundaries ourselves. So I hope that this was helpful. I know that boundaries are a tricky topic and, um, you know, I know that I've contradicted myself a few times in this podcast and that's because boundaries are such a tricky topic. But the main point here is that you can be both compassionate and have clear boundaries. You can be both friendly and professional to your students. You can absolutely be warm and inviting and available and also available for yourself. And it's just about hearing your inner voice when you hear see those alarm bells going off that say, this is a breach of my boundaries. Learning to listen to that. Before I keep rambling on, I hope this was helpful. Please send me an email or, you know, make sure you subscribe to the contemporaryeducator.com, but send me an email or find me on Instagram at teach.emote.repeat. And I love getting feedback. I've had a few people reach out to me so far and just send me some feedback saying thanks for certain things or asking for other things. And boundaries is actually one that came up where somebody, because I talked about boundaries in um, one of my blog posts on language in the classroom. And they had asked me about the boundary one one specifically. So that's one of the reasons that this one came up today. And like I said, if you have certain things that you're wanting to hear or ideas that you have or things that you want more information on, um, let me know. Yeah, just like shoot me an email, find me on Instagram or on Facebook um, on the Contemporary Educator page or at teach.emote.repeat on Instagram or thecontemporaryeducator.com. I hope you are all having a really restful rest of your weekend and a really, really great week ahead. Take good care, everyone. 